Rinkwide Vancouver. The Vancouver Canucks four-game win streak comes to an end. A bit of a snooze fest in Minnesota, an early start, a game that felt like a matinee and two teams kind of sleepwalking through the motions. The Wild win it by a score of 2-1 to one in a shootout. This is Rinkwide Vancouver. It's brought to you by Betway, Jeff Patterson, along with David Quadrelli of Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. And not a lot of goals, but lots of things to get to in this one, Quads. And when I look at this game, low-scoring affair, low-event hockey for the most part, the Vancouver Canucks, I mean, the talent disparity on the two rosters here, the Canucks with a ton of game breakers, the Wild not so much, and with five power plays and then five full minutes of three-on-three overtime, I think it's fair to expect a little bit more from the top end of the lineup. Uh, You're not going to win every game. Not every game is going to be a Picasso, I get that, but this was a game that was begging for the Vancouver Canucks top-end players to come through, and ultimately they did not. Yeah, and I mean, even the goal that they did get, it comes from that third line, which gives them credit, has been playing well, but it's been the secondary scoring helping the Canucks out, and with a game like tonight, where Casey DeSmith, I thought, was very good tonight, and I keep saying tonight, this morning, this afternoon, whatever you want to say, you're right, like, you need your guys, you need your top guys to be there for you, not... Not necessarily even at five on five. The power play was a big story in this game, and I know we'll get to that. But in any facet of the game, there were a lot of chances for the Canucks stars to be their best players, and they just weren't tonight. And I think, too, it's instructive here. I mean, so much has gone the Canucks way this season, and a lot of the games have been laughers, and they have, uh, you know, blitzed their opponents and chased goaltenders and all that kind of stuff. But When the chips are down later in the season, they're going to find themselves in more games like this. And ultimately, if they qualify for the playoffs, and it's possible that they could run into this Minnesota Wild team in the playoffs, they are going to have to learn how to break down opponents, how to play patient hockey, and ultimately, you know, pounce on their opportunities when they get them. And the Canucks with 36 shots on goal. Let's get Philip Gustafson. You talked about Casey DeSmith, and we'll certainly come back and talk more about his afternoon. But Philip Gustafson... Uh, has been doing a nice job for the Minnesota Wild, certainly since the coaching change, one of the big reasons that they've been able to start moving things back in the right direction. And he stops 35 of 36, and then he stares down Kuzmenko, Miller, and Pedersen in that order in the shootout. So uh, Philip Gustafson certainly did his part for the Minnesota Wild. Again, though, I I just think that there's too much talent on this Vancouver roster, and the guys at the top end, I I didn't think were particularly sharp. This was not a good game for JT Miller. Quinn Hughes played a lot, played four minutes and 17 seconds of overtime. Why not just play all five at that point? Don't come off the ice, essentially. I mean, that's kind of what happened. Uh, But even in overtime, and that's where I said, you know, okay, you have trouble breaking down this wild team, the way that they play uh, five on five. Now you remove two skaters from both sides. There's all kinds of ice out there. I expected a little bit more in the way of some scoring chances at the very least. Uh, The shots in overtime were 2-0 for the Canucks. Connor Garland with one of them working his way out of the corner. Can't even remember what the other shot was, but the Canucks didn't give up a shot in overtime. So, you know, that part's good, I suppose. But if Minnesota's not shooting the puck, then, you know, know, they controlled it right off the faceoff and did the possession thing. But still, in those moments when the Vancouver Canucks were able to get their hands on the puck in OT, I wanted more, I expected more. And so, you know, I mean, look, I think it's okay to raise the bar a little bit around here with this team and the way that it's performed and and to have some expectations. Again, I recognize that they're not going to win every game and that there are two teams out there. 
but at the start of the road trip, like this felt like a way to extend the win streak to five, set the tone for the road trip, quick turnaround now into Chicago. And, you know, the Canucks can't take anybody lightly. They've already lost to the San Jose Sharks this season. So if they're thinking that, oh, it's going to be easy, we'll just, uh, you know, get the win on Sunday afternoon, uh, they're going to have to play better. And certainly their best players, I think, are going to have to play better at United Center against the Blackhawks than they did here on Saturday afternoon in Mini. You mentioned the star power, how the Canucks have a lot more stars, but just a quick look at Minnesota stars, like Kirill Kaprizov has had his struggles this season. He has one assist in his last five games, and that's a, that's just a matchup you have to win, and you brought up JT Miller, who, you know, his line for the second game in a row loses their matchup, Nils Huglander loses his spot. Again, I know we're going to get to all of this, but it's just, when you look at stars versus stars, the Canucks should have been ahead in this game. They had every opportunity to. You know, again, JT Miller's done incredible things for the Canucks. You don't get to second in the NHL scoring without uh, having it most nights. But, you know, you go back to the the lone goal that Minnesota scored in the run of play to open the scoring late in the first period. Uh, it's Freddie Goodrow who basically just kind of, you know, gets lost in the shuffle. Nobody picks him up as he goes to the net. Marcus Foligno with a nice centering pass there. But that play all starts in the neutral zone. And JT Miller with a pretty weak attempt, I thought, to get to the puck. And then once he lost it, I'm not even sure he starts heading up ice as Minnesota's going into the Vancouver zone. Philip Hironik's got his head on a swivel, but doesn't recognize that there's a guy behind him. Brock Besser, I think, kind of got confused because Besser, with Miller over on the wall, Besser, even though he's the winger, was essentially in the middle there. There wasn't a whole lot of a back check from him. Quinn Hughes uh, is the defenseman over on the left side as the puck goes wide. You know, I think there was plenty to go around there. But if you watch the replay... As the Wild entered the zone, like the Canucks look like they're in decent position in terms of numbers back. And, you know, it doesn't look all that threatening. So credit to Minnesota for creating a scoring chance out of nothing from the blue line down. But that, again, that's JT Miller. That's an even strength. That's their line out there against Patrick Maroon and (laughs) Marcus Foligno. Like that wasn't even the Kaprizov line. That wasn't the matchup. That's an area that JT Miller and his line absolutely, that should be opportunity Uh, for those guys to be controlling the puck and the play on the other end of the ice. So you're not going to score first always. They've uh, scored first in a lot of their games. They were fine at 1-0. And then, to me, really the story of the game, I come back to the five power plays because all five of the power plays came after Minnesota opened the scoring. So ample opportunity as this game went along. And if you couldn't break many down at 5-on-5, then it wasn't a game where there was one or two power plays. They had five power play opportunities, ended up being 10 full minutes with the man advantage, 11 shots on goal. Brock Besser had five of them. I, I remember late in the first period, right after Minnesota had scored, I think it was the first Canucks power play, Miller found Besser in the bumper, quick little play, and Brock hasn't missed many from there. Uh, looked like he got the shot that he was looking for, and Gustafson made one of his tougher saves uh, on the afternoon, I thought. But other than that, I mean, JT Miller had the breakaway on the power play at 1-1, and you know, you're looking for turning points right there. Uh, a guy that you would want to have the puck on his stick gets in behind the defense, takes that pass from Quinn Hughes and uh, wasn't able to convert. So again, credit to the goaltender. But uh, yeah, I mean, this to me, this is just, a, it's an afternoon of missed opportunities, again, particularly uh, on the power play. With such a boring game and... It was. <laughs> such a boring overtime as well. You were just, 
it was just a prime opportunity for someone to do something exciting. Like if Elias Pedersen scores on that wraparound goal during the third period, seven shots on goal for EP40 tonight. Um, if he buries that wraparound goal, totally different conversation. We're talking about how it was a boring game until Elias Pedersen did an Elias Pedersen thing and won the Canucks the game. But that's not the conversation we're having. This was a boring game through and through, and it ends with the Canucks losing uh, in a shootout, which should be abolished. But that's a story for another day. Yeah, and it is kind of funny. I mean, clearly that is uh, an element that EP40 has added to his uh, arsenal. I mean, we've already seen him score a couple of wraparound goals against Anaheim, against Carolina last Saturday, and he was looking there and not trying to tuck it in short side. He's trying to get the goalie to sort of overcommit and hope that there's an opening five hole there. You know, I, I'm pretty sure that when he got that puck along the end board, like that's all he was thinking is, here we go, wrap around and we'll see if we can make it happen. Didn't happen for him there. But you're right. Like that would have changed the conversation. And then we would have said like, terrible game, not much going, but one of the Canucks stars stepped up in a big moment. It's kind of funny to me. Like when I look at the final stat sheet and you mentioned Elias Pedersen with seven shots, like, I don't know. That might have been his best scoring opportunity. Like I, off the top of my head, I can't remember any of the other other shots that he had on goal in this game. Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy because we had the, we were just having this conversation <laughs> that yeah, I can't remember them either. Like I would love to see the heat map and see where those shots came from because I think I I could maybe name you two, and the wraparound is one of them. Yeah. So, I mean, look, frustrating game. I get it. And a frustrating result. But the good news is that they manage the loss. They get it to overtime. Third trip to OT this season. And the first shootout for the Vancouver Canucks. And clearly they've got some work to do. Kuzmenko, he got in a little too deep. Couldn't do anything with it. JT Miller shades to that left side always. And has had some success with that move. But uh, a little stutter step. And uh, Gustafson stayed with him. And then, uh, you know, again, you're hoping with the chips down that Elias Pettersson's going to come through. Those are your three guys. And Canucks go 0 for just the one shootout goal. And that was Matt Zuccarello five-hole on Casey DeSmith, who then stopped Matt Boldy. And Kirill Kaprizov had a chance to win the hockey game, went to the back end, and wasn't able to convert there. I mean, they've played the Wild twice now, and they've given up one goal. They shut them out a couple of weeks ago with the Smith in goal. So Casey DeSmith done his thing. And keeping Kirill Kaprizov in check... I mean, that's two games now, and Kaprizov hasn't found the score sheet. And so that continues a trend where, you know, the Canucks were good the other night against Barkov and against Reinhardt and Matthew Kachuk. And even the game before that, Kucherov comes in as a leading scorer. You know, he didn't burn the Canucks, and Steven Stamkos had all those chances, and Thatcher Demko was up to the challenge there. You know, the Canucks have done a pretty good job keeping the other team's stars in check. And again, you do that, you'd like to think on the balance of play that somewhere along the way, your your own guys are going to rise up and that just didn't happen. So I know I'm kind of beating the same drum here. That is clearly the takeaway from this hockey game is there are games that are just begging for the best players to rise to the occasion. And the Canucks didn't do that, but uh, one of their best players was Casey DeSmith. And I know that you focus on goaltending an awful lot. So let's spend a little bit of time just talking about him. 30 saves on 31 shots through the run of play and then gets beaten for the one in over in the shootout by Zuccarello but there were some nice stops by Casey DeSmith who you know when you step back 31 games into the season Dave like he really has been a terrific addition and a great pickup by Patrick Alvin in the management group yeah and for him in particular with the way he's making saves I think that's what's really impressing me the most uh, if you think back like yes he was getting the results but let's be honest the Canucks were playing very very well in front of him and in front of Thatcher Demko to start the year one thing that DeSmith has kind of struggled with and I think he's been working on it quite a bit with Ian Clark is his rebound control and I thought a lot of the rebounds today were either 
It would drop right in front of him and he quickly corralled it or there was no rebound. There wasn't that, okay, I'm going to make a save, but then it gets kicked out or bounces out to the high slot or the low slot and it's a five alarm chance right away that my defense needs to clear out in front of me. Like Casey DeSmith was very good in this game and it was, I don't want to say it was just him, but he didn't need a ton of help in front of him, it seemed like, to clear out those rebounds. So that was something that I was really impressed with and that I've kind of been watching in his game lately. Uh, Seems to be something he's improved on. So not only am I liking what I'm seeing in terms of the numbers he's putting up, just like I was at the start of the year, but the way he's getting to those numbers now, uh, I'm very impressed. I think this is a goaltender who has improved throughout the season, which is obviously something you want to see. Full credit to the management group for going out and picking him up because there was a lot of question marks surrounding the backup position heading into this season. But Casey DeSmith has been uh, as good, if not better, than advertised. What did you make of the decision to start him? Thatcher Demko coming off a shutout seemed to have found his groove again. They're back-to-back this weekend, so I think there was going to be a split here. But it is kind of interesting that three of the four shutouts the Canucks have posted this season, Rick Tockett has gone away from that goaltender and made the switch to the next game. Now, Casey DeSmith came into this thing 5-0 lifetime against the Minnesota Wild, had blanked them, as we said, just over a week ago. There were lots of reasons to go with Casey DeSmith, but Casey DeSmith beat the Minnesota Wild on, I want to say, the 7th of December. It was a Thursday night. And then Thatcher Demko played the next three against Carolina, Tampa, and Florida. So it wasn't like Demko was at the end of a, you know, six straight start run or, you know, eight and nine kind of thing. So there was a little bit of me that was surprised. I just, again, trying to set the tone for the road trip against a team that you are trying to pull away from uh, in the Western Conference standings, the way that Thatcher Demko has been playing, the way that he played the other night. I guess I just expected that it was going to be Thatcher Demko, but uh, Tockett has his reasons. And again, they didn't lose because of Casey DeSmith, but I'm just curious, what did you make of the decision to go with DeSmith in this one and presumably Thatcher Demko on Sunday against Chicago? I actually had this pegged as a Casey DeSmith start. I had it pegged as that on last Thursday night, December 7th, when Casey DeSmith blanked the Minnesota Wild, because after that game, as you just said, the thing I was wondering was, okay, well, you just got a shutout. Do you go back to DeSmith in that game against the Carolina Hurricanes on Saturday? Obviously, they go to Demko. He plays three straight. I'm not saying that that's not right, and they shouldn't have done that to Casey DeSmith, but I think... You have such a rare opportunity where, okay, you didn't play the guy because he's your backup and you didn't play him in the game right after he got a shutout, but his next start being against the team that he had just shut out, I think that's fitting. I think that's fair for Casey DeSmith to get that game. Uh, I actually thought they were going to go um, to Casey DeSmith in this game. I thought that as of December 7th, the evening of December 7th, uh, I was thinking, okay, well, I thought he was going to start the game against Carolina, but then when once they went to Demko, you know, I kind of just assumed that DeSmith was going to get this one. Didn't have a problem with the decision, if I'm being honest with you. No, and neither did I. I just, I, I thought it was curious, and, and I'm so sort of used to hockey and conventional wisdom, and Rick Tockett has shown that he's not afraid to do that at all, and so Thatcher Demko will be rested and ready to go, and I would expect that he does get the start against uh, Chicago on Sunday, and yeah, I mean, the, the sort of footnote in this is that Casey DeSmith loses to the Minnesota Wild for the first time in his career, but... Uh, has managed to pick up points now in all six of his games as the Canucks get the single point out of XL Energy Center in a 2-1 shootout loss. Four-game win streak comes to an end. The Canucks are now 29-2 through 31 games, so they've got 42 points uh, in the standings, and they'll continue to uh, trek along here into Chicago, into Nashville, and then the road trip wraps up in Dallas on Thursday. 
you were talking about rebounds for Casey DeSmith and the fact that he didn't need a lot of help. He did get some in that first period. The Brendan Duhame shot that got through him and it was sitting there in the blue paint and Philip Hironik, fortunately, in the right spot to, to sweep it away. So there was that one. And then when I looked through the notes that I had, you know, we talked about Kaprizov, ultimately doesn't beat Casey DeSmith, but uh, had that chance off the right side. I think it was on a Minnesota power play in the second period. And Smith had to get across uh, and did and and was able to get squared to the shooter there. But uh, Kaprizov certainly will beat some goaltenders from that spot on the ice. I didn't like the way the Canucks played the final sort of six or eight minutes of the third period either. And they forced to Smith, uh, Johansson, driving hard to the net. Uh, looked like he had a pretty good chance. And then Brock Faber off right wing with about five minutes to go, walked in, uh, shot, and Smith, DeSmith was there to make the save as well. It kind of felt like the Canucks almost were playing for overtime at that point of the hockey game. And look, this is them coming off a, a third period the other night against Florida where they got outshot 15 to 1. You know, there is still some work to be done. Like, we've built this team up. Uh, they've deserved most of the praise that they have received this year for that record that I just talked about. But it's still a work in progress. I think that much is clear to everybody. Some things that they can build on, but there, I do think that there are some things that they have to pay attention to uh, in an outcome like this one. We talked about the power play and Brock Besser with his five shots. The bit of a scary moment there in the late stages. I mean, it's always that storyline of Brock going back to Minnesota, his home state, his family in attendance, and... Uh, everything else, and then uh, he takes the Quinn Hughes shot off the ankle, doesn't just head to the bench, but down the tunnel. And I think uh, given the season that he's had, uh, certainly uh, some people holding their breath in you know Canuck Nation thinking that uh, this thing better not be anything serious. Fortunately, Brock Besser returned. In fact, didn't even miss a shift. And they got another power play, and he was right back out there. So uh, crisis averted, but for a few moments, a little bit scary. Kind of fitting that his next shift was on the power play as well. Just seeing him hop right back <laughs> over the boards. It was almost as if he was uh, waiting in the tunnel and saw, oh, wait, we're back on the power play. Get me back out there. <laughs> his point streak comes to an end, unfortunately for him. Nine games. So he's done that three times in his career, but double digits were beckoning, unfortunately. And we talked about the chance that he had in the first period. But really, like uh, so many of those other top end guys, just not a whole lot happening for him. And I don't have a problem with Rick Tockett's order of shooters, uh, although when you've got one of the league's leading goal scorers, I, I wonder how deep they would have had to go to get to Brock Besser in the shootout. Now, I don't necessarily think that Brock Besser is a shootout ace. I'd have to go back and look uh, throughout his career. The three that he went with, I think, are probably the three that I would have gone with, maybe not in that order, but whatever the case. Like, I don't have any issues with the three players that Rick Tockett picked uh, to go first in the shootout. No, I, I mean, I thought Brock Besser, maybe in his hometown, I probably would have had him instead of Elias Pettersson, but then it's hard to say that because Elias Pettersson has that game-breaking ability, so I don't know, like, it's 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 honestly, it's, it's tough to say, and it's tough to sit, it's easy to sit here uh, with the benefit of hindsight and say, yeah, you gotta put Brock Besser in, but I did really think that he was gonna get a shot, you know, just with the hometown fans in attendance, his family there, I just, I thought, I thought he was gonna get a shot, uh, but it's hard to disagree with the order that Rick Tockett actually ended up going with. Well, and it's hard, I think, if you're the coaching staff. I mean, it's the first shootout, 31 games in, and and they don't practice shootouts an awful lot. So I don't know if they're going on, you know, career records. Like Elias Patterson, prior to this, was 12 for 33, 36% with six to, uh, game-deciding goals. So uh, Brock Besser, a 22% shootout conversion rate, five uh, of 23 and just one game-deciding goal. You know, what's interesting to me is, and I remember writing about this at the time that they made the trade, is Connor Garland, at the time of the trade, had one of the best shootout percentages 
during his time in the National Hockey League. And we know that goals have not flowed at all. I mean, talk about a bold play. That would have been a bold play to go to Connor Garland. But as I look through the, the game notes here, Connor Garland in his career uh, has been an ace. Now, most of that's in, I don't even know if he's had a shootout attempt as a member of the Vancouver Canucks. I think most of these numbers come from his time in Arizona. But who was the coach there? Rick Tockett. Eight for 19, 42% on shootout conversions for Connor Garland. And Rick Tockett would have firsthand knowledge of that. So, you know, it's easy to second guess if the Canucks score in their shootouts. We're not talking about guys in their career percentages. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking about, hey, they squeezed out a victory and move on to Chicago. But, you know, they sort of open themselves up. And again, I, I think I probably would have gone with those three guys. It's just unfortunate that you couldn't get a goal out of Kuzmenko, Miller, or Patterson. Those were the three guys in the shootout. And so the Vancouver Canucks... Uh, uh, end up falling by a score of 2-1 to one to the Minnesota Wild, and we'll see. They've been good about bouncing back. We'll give them every opportunity, and obviously the Chicago Blackhawks uh, in a world of hurt, but uh, it'll be fun to see them take on Connor Bedard for the first time in his National Hockey League career. The one goal the Canucks did score in this game, yes, they got one past Phil Gustafson, and that was Teddy Bluger off the rush, three minutes and 50 seconds into the second period. Uh, you talked about it right off the top. You know, hey, you need something to happen? You turn to that third line these days. That seems to be the way it goes. And Teddy Bluger uh, with his third goal of the season. So Connor Garland's sitting there and saying, like, Bluger's ahead of me. What do I have to do to get a goal here? But Garland makes that play down the right side, you know, just puts the puck into a soft area for Dakota Joshua. And Joshua, the goal scorer the other night, but uh, returns the favor, centering pass. And there's Teddy Bluger driving to the net, uh, sort of escapes the check of Duhame and is able to convert. So, uh, yeah, that line continues to play well, play hard. Didn't think they have a great first period. In fact, the underlying numbers uh, reflected that. Uh, you know, that line's been so good here for the last couple of weeks, but uh, the opening 20 minutes uh, spent way too much time in their own zone. The numbers sort of uh, suggested that they got caved in the first period, but took that to heart, I'm sure, and, and were better in that second period. So, I mean, on a day when there wasn't a whole lot going on for the Canucks, uh, I think you have to chalk that one up to uh, another solid performance at the very least from that trio of Joshua Garland and Bluger. I really wonder how long we're going to see that trio stay together because post-game... In the last game the Canucks played, Rick Tockett spoke about how Pia Suter was so good on that line right before he went down with injury, and he was really complimentary of Pia Suter's first game back as well. And then tonight, obviously, Suter jumps up higher up in the lineup as well. I really wonder how long we're going to see Teddy Bluger uh, centering that third line, because I don't think there's much, well, maybe right now there's some. there's a case to be made against it, but... Pia Suter obviously has a little bit more offensive upside than Teddy Bluger does. I'm curious how long we see that trio last. I, I think with the goal tonight and the way they played, certainly they're going to be together uh, tomorrow. But I, I just wonder how long we're going to see Teddy Bluger centering that line. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's the other thing sort of to come out of this game. And, you know, again, I don't blame Rick Tockett midway through the game. Not a whole lot happening for his club. He's looking for a spark. Uh, he has spoken glowingly about uh, Pia Suter, how much they missed him, and ultimately having him back the other night and him looking good in, in his return to the lineup after missing 14 games to the point that Nils Hoaglander seemed to lose his spot on that line with Miller and Besser at one point. The problem there is that if you're looking to make change, you know, Tockett goes back to the way the season started with Phil DiGiuseppe, who has faded so much from where he was coming out of training camp in those first couple of games of the season to, you know, now on the fourth line, but kind of holding on to his uh, spot in the lineup by a thread with Nils Amon knocking on the door and wanting to get in there. And so if you, that's fine if you don't think Hoaglander's going or you're looking for a different look. You know, Phil DiGiuseppe 
was the next man up to get that chance back in the top six. And he's just, the way that he's playing right now, I'm not sure that he was the right fit. And I think Tockett felt that as well, because we saw uh, for the third period, Pia Suter, a center, but Tockett shortens his bench and elects to promote Pia Suter to play with Miller and Besser. And so, uh, yeah, I'm curious with a quick turnaround here on the fact that Nils Amon is the lone extra forward right now in back-to-back games. Do you plug Nils Amon in Chicago? But if so, who comes out and how do they line up uh, 24 hours later against the Blackhawks? I, I, I was thinking about this right before we actually went on, and I'm trying to figure out, like, is it Phil Giuseppe? You just mentioned he's hanging on by a thread. I think it is Phil Giuseppe. And if maybe Phil Giuseppe comes in for Nils Huglander and plays phenomenal on that second line, maybe it's Nils Huglander who all of a sudden loses his spot in the lineup. But I don't think Tockett saw what he wanted to see from Phil Giuseppe. Clearly, that's why he put Pia Suter there. Um, and it's just... It's just almost like a reflection of how PDG's played after that phenomenal start to the year where, you know, there was legitimate conversations about, okay, can this guy do this all season long playing on a top six forward line? Um, His performance tonight and his performance as of late would suggest no. You have to think that he's probably the guy coming out for Nils Amon, who, you know, like you said, has been knocking on the door and when he's been in the lineup has played relatively well. Well, and it was interesting, too, because uh, after the game on Thursday, Rick Taco was asked, hey, you're going out in four games and six nights, uh, moving further away from, you know, Vancouver and Abbotsford. Are you going to take an extra body on this road trip? And Tockett said, oh, I'm going to go talk to Patrick Galvin. Uh, and I kind of thought, yeah, I mean, they've got a roster spot that they probably wouldn't take chances and, you know, carry an extra I guess two extra forwards at that point, but uh, no roster moves in that regard. So uh, Nils Amon is the only extra forward. Now, there's no guarantee that he gets in, but Tockett talked the other day about how difficult it was to, you know, settle on Amon as the guy that has to come out and line up to make room for P.S. Suter. So I think that they don't want him sitting for too long. And, you know, the, the, the contribution right now from PDG is, I suppose, his penalty killing utility. Well, Nils Amon can certainly do that and replace that and you know, gives you a bit of versatility as a center or a winger as well. So I won't be surprised if that is the move that's made. I would hope that Nils Hoaglander, if you want to demote him, that's fine. But I hope he doesn't come out of the lineup. Like, I, I think he has proven himself. I think he's proven himself to the coaching staff here with his run of the last, what, two or three weeks that he is there to help this hockey club. And they're better with him in the lineup. And, you know, if he had a bad game, so be it. But there were a lot of guys that had a bad game that aren't in danger of coming right out of the lineup when you turn around and play again. So uh, we'll see how they line up in Chicago. I hope for Niels Hoaglander's sake, though, that uh, you know he gets a chance to stay in that lineup because, uh, sure, it may have been quiet for him, but it was quiet for a lot of guys. Uh, he could be better, and uh, you know, you'd hope that he would be uh, when they get right back at it against the Blackhawks in a noon start. On Sunday from United Center, this was 11 o'clock Pacific. It kind of looked and felt that way through the day. Uh, A bit of a sleepy Saturday game. Let's hope for better hockey on Sunday. But again, uh, the Blackhawks, uh, they are in a funk right now. I think uh, they have four wins in their last 17 games or something like that. So, you know, it's one of those games that should be there for the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, saying that's one thing, uh, they got to get out there and make sure that it happens. All right, uh, lots to get to. We're going to hear from players and the coach as we move forward here. We'll get to our Rinkwide Vancouver 3 star selection. We'll get uh, some listener feedback as well to our social channels at Rinkwide Van. Uh, see what the people thought of this one. We'll have a staff that stands out as well and a few more thoughts on what we might see on Sunday in the Windy City. But right now it's time for our Betway Bet of the Day. And we're going to look at a futures uh, board here 
in this Pacific Division, the Vancouver Canucks pick up another point in the standings, as we said, 29-2 and two now on the season, so they're up to 42. If you like the Canucks to win the Pacific Division outright, you can get them right now at 4-1 to one odds at Betway. Uh, so you may want to check that out. Obviously, uh, running neck and neck with the Vegas Golden Knights and the Los Angeles Kings as well. So uh, some opportunity knocking for the Vancouver Canucks and a single point on the road. Uh, that's not going to hurt them if they can add to that total as they work their way through the final three games of this road trip. So there you go. Uh, that's our Betway bet of the day. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Uh, the Canucks and the Minnesota Wild battled to a 1-1 tie through overtime, and then the Wild get the uh, bonus point of the afternoon with a shootout victory. 2-1 is the final. You're listening to Rink-Wide Vancouver. Minnesota Wild defeat the Vancouver Canucks by a score of 2-1 in a shootout. Canucks' four-game win streak is over, so they'll have a chance to start anew when they take on the Chicago Blackhawks on Sunday at United Center. We broke down this hockey game, <laughs> found a way to talk about this thing for 15 minutes or so, Dave. Uh, I'm not, I, I, was, I wasn't sure if we were going to be able to grind out kind of like the game itself, but uh, hey, that's what we do after each and every one of these Canucks games. But you've heard from us now. Uh, curious to hear from the head coach. I mean, so much winning for the Vancouver Canucks, 20 victories in their first 30 games that Rick Tockett obviously has liked most of what he's seen from his hockey club and the way that they have responded to the messaging from the coaching staff, but not surprised to hear that Rick Tockett not all that thrilled uh, with the performance of his group over 65 minutes and the shootout. I like the third, obviously the first two we were kind of, I don't know if it's a plane ride, not being able to skate. I, I don't know if you attribute to it, but we were, the execution was a little bit off the first couple. I thought the third we started to come find ourselves a little bit. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think that kind of sums up the way we saw it too. I mean, he just talks about uh, the execution being off, but you can you can just hear it in his voice, right? Like he's a pretty emotive guy and you can tell a little bit of exasperation uh, knowing that it was an opportunity that got away from his club. Yeah, here. and I mean, look, when you're pointing out that the five-on-five play and the power play were not good. Like, that's not something we're just making up here. That was something the head coach is obviously very, very well aware of. And, yeah, like, you grind out the point. It was a good win for them to get that, like, get out of regulation and do that when you're grinding away. But, you know, the first period just wasn't good enough for the Canucks, and the way they played as a whole wasn't good enough tonight. You know, it, it is remarkable. We've talked about this fact that the, the game breakers, like Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, you got Brock Besser, you know, Kuzmenko has been in a funk, but that much time in space, like they have one win in three trips to overtime, which uh, sort of boggles my mind, really, when you think about it. And again, there are other teams that can toss out uh, superstar level players, but the Rangers beat them in overtime and then they beat the Islanders in overtime. And here, nothing settled in OT, so it goes to a shootout. But still, uh, I just think that uh, difference makers, especially with that much time and space in overtime, should be able to step up. And those same difference makers, uh, you know, they're the guys that run the power play and they just didn't have it. Talk, it was asked after the game, you know, what he saw uh, from the Canucks going 0 for 5 with the man advantage. Same as uh, the 5 on 5 play, the execution wasn't there. We were static, you know, um, even like, you know, we'd shoot it, nobody in front, or we got a lot of, we got a lot of shots blocked. You know, that was something I thought we... Uh, there was a lot of opportunities to make some plays. I thought we just shot in the shin pads of guys. Well, we're in lockstep with the coach uh, again there. He talked about them being static, uh, that lack of movement on the power play. He also, 
you know, he gave Minnesota some props, uh, the amount of shots blocked by those Minnesota penalty killers and good on them. It's a tough gig, but uh, if you're going to be successful, you have to have some guys that are willing to do it. The final stat sheet shows that Minnesota blocked 16 of the Canucks shot attempts on the afternoon, but uh, you can tell like the five on five play coach didn't uh, really dig what he saw from the power play either. No, exactly. And I mean, look, we, we, I just said it. Like, we, we're thinking the exact same thing. When you're not moving around, you're not going to have those results. And I just, again, I go back to what I said earlier in the show, Jeff, about how JT Miller's been pointing this out to us for the past couple of weeks. And it almost feels like nobody's been listening to him or really dissecting uh, what exactly he's talking about. Because when you ask him, he always follows it up with, well, I don't want to get into it too much. But he always <laughs> has been saying that, yeah, okay, I, I'm not happy with the power play. We haven't been good enough. And then you say, what do you want to improve? And, you know, it's always, well, I'm not going to get into it. So we have to go figure it out. We have to go figure out what they're doing wrong because JT Miller has not been happy uh, with the power play in recent weeks. Well, and he, on a day like this, he's part of the problem, not part of the solution. So he has to be better, and so do the guys around him. And I think they will be. Again, I have confidence in this power play. I'm not souring on it uh, over the long haul. I just think in a game like this one, this was begging for the Canucks power play to come through, and it uh, it kind of let the hockey club down. Uh, let's leave the final word on this game to uh, the guy that probably was the best Canuck player uh, on the afternoon, and that's Casey DeSmith, who, uh, again, stops 30 of the 31 shots that he faces and then gives up the one goal to Zuccarello to open the shootout, but uh, Casey DeSmith, uh, happy that they at least get a single point for their efforts here, and then uh, they'll move on here the rest of this road trip. We performed well. You know, first game of a road trip, it's always can be tough, you know, hopping off the plane, so uh, I thought we, we defended well, and we had some chances. You know, obviously Gus played well too, so um, go up against a good goalie and you know, I thought we played well. And there you go. Casey to Smith. And uh, you got to expect with the back-to-backs and a little bit of travel, not too hard to get from mini to Chicago. But I, I think you go right back to Thatcher Demko. But the question now, Dave, uh, three more on this road trip and then the one game against San Jose, uh, the home game on the 23rd before the holiday break. Uh, what's the goalie breakdown? Uh, do you run with Demko the rest of this road trip and give to Smith the Sharks and give Thatcher an extended holiday break? Or do you think we see to Smith again before this road trip is through? I think you ask Thatcher how he's feeling. And I think you go based on that. I, I think there's pros and cons to an extended break. Like you don't want rest to turn into rust. And look, I don't know, maybe a seven day break isn't going to do that for Thatcher Demko or five, whatever exactly what it would be. But there's a there's a part of me that thinks you go back to DeSmith on this road trip. Again, my answer might be different tomorrow. I think my answer might be different based on how Thatcher Demko plays and really how the team in front of him plays as well. I think it will impact um, which way I lean on this. Right now, I think it's almost too soon for me to give a a hard take on what they're going to do. And I, I would I would hedge hedge a guess that the um, that the team themselves hasn't de- haven't decided what they're going to do with their goaltenders um, with this week ahead here. Well, we expect that he gets Chicago, then you go into Nashville, uh, and then you finish up in Dallas. I I hope that they would throw Thatcher Demko at the Dallas Stars, uh, shut them out earlier this season. You know, that's another one of those teams that is sort of, uh, has been where the Canucks want to be uh, in terms of the standings and some playoff success. Like, that's a good challenge at the end of the road trip. I, I hope that they, you know, go in with their best lineup. But I guess, you, yeah, you see how much energy this team's got and where Thatcher is. And, of course, uh, uh, injury situations can impact things and, and as well. So uh, we'll take this game by game sort of uh, next up Chicago on Sunday. Hey, 
It's time now for our Rinkwide Vancouver three-star selection. We always do this. We look at uh, the three stars as selected in the building, and then we uh, offer up our own three stars as well. Uh, no surprise, the two goaltenders, uh, Philip Gustafson and Casey DeSmith, were 1-2 as selected by the media members in Minnesota. They went with Joel Erickson Eck as the third star. He finished with eight shots on goal in this hockey game, and he's having a fine season. I mean, they don't have a ton of star power, and they don't have a lot of offense, but uh, he's having a nice uh, offensive year. Uh, he had that chance coming out of the penalty box midway through the second. We haven't touched on this, so I know we're doing the three stars here, but what did you make of the Philip Heronic slashing penalty? Got to get slashes like that out of the game, right, Jeff? Um, That's what I tweeted, yes. Yeah, yeah. Vicious, was... dangerous plays like that. And the referee with his arm in the air for seemingly, like it almost felt like he wasn't sure what he was trying to do. He's like, <laughs> I got my arm in the air. I got to do something here. I mean, call it a hook if you have to, a slash? Come on. Like, I genuinely think that he was thinking about calling it a penalty shot or not. Yeah. And then... I think maybe he just signaled the wrong thing and said, well, I made the signal. I better stick with it. Like, this is why it would be great. It would be it would be great if refs could speak post game because I would love to hear. Yeah, I was motioning to center ice, but then I put my other arm up and I accidentally hit my arm. So it was a slashing call that I had to make. So, um, yeah, it ended up being a slash. We've got to get vicious slashes like that out of the game. Yeah, no, if anything, it was a hook. It was a penalty. It was just not a slash. It was definitely it was a hook. But on that third star. Joel Eriksson Ek. Yes. Last time I think you and I did rink white together, or one of the recent times we did it, was the night that Juraj Slavkovsky uh, got <laughs> third star. And he had a similar stat line where zero points, a couple penalty minutes, and then he was not a plus or a minus, but he had shots on goal and he was given a star. This one feels similar with Joel Eriksson Ek. Well, uh, we did one as well in one of the games in Calgary where AJ Greer was a third star. And I was like, did he even play? And it's like, okay, whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, this is a difficult decision for the the star pickers. Like this is a night that there should have been two stars. They just go with the goaltenders and, and call it a night. They went with Joel Erickson, who played 20 minutes, 22 minutes and 47 seconds, had those eight shots on goal and takes a ton of face-offs as well. Won 16 of the 27 face-offs. So, I mean, he, he had a decent afternoon for him. I'm going to veer from the script a little bit though and go with rookie Brock Faber, uh, the defenseman, and maybe a nod to uh, your former colleague and a former co-host here as well uh, on Rinkwide uh, earlier this season. Uh, but this is Brock Faber we're talking about. Guy logged 31 minutes and 34 seconds in this hockey game. You have to remember that Minnesota's without Jonas Brodeen and their captain Jared Spurgeon. So again, you talk about opportunities missed for the Vancouver Canucks. Like they're now asking other guys to step up in a huge way, and Brock Faber as a rookie logging a career-high 31-34 in this hockey game. Uh, Jacob Middleton plays 27 minutes and 15 seconds as well. So they leaned an awful lot on those guys, and they helped the Canucks to just a single goal. So most of it's the goaltending, but uh, credit where it's due as well. The defenseman that uh, stepped up in a big way for the Minnesota Wild. So we'll go with uh, Brock Faber as the third star here on Rinkwide Vancouver. You all right with that selection? Well, I mean, I'm just looking through the stat sheet, trying to figure out how it wasn't Brock Faber in the building and how it went to Eric Sinek. <laughs> the only stat that he has more of than Brock Faber was penalty minutes and shots on goal. Uh, Brock Faber had more hits. He had more blocked shots, a lot more ice time, as you just alluded to and highlighted there. I just, yeah, it should have been Brock Faber uh, in the building. But I'll give you another one, Jeff, if, if we're going for a Canucks pick, if we have to go with a sure. Canuck here. 
it's got to be one of Connor Garland or Teddy Bluger, I would think. Uh, you, you you pointed out that Connor Garland set up the Teddy Bluger goal, and yeah, I think a case might be able to be made for Connor Garland. Yeah, I mean, I would probably have shaded to Bluger just because he scored the goal, but the goal doesn't happen without the work of Connor Garland and, and Dakota Joshua as well. So good for those guys. Uh, another solid performance. Uh, the Canucks just needed more of that from the guys, a little bit higher than them in on the depth chart. But uh, I've got Philip Gustafson, Casey DeSmith, Brock Faber as the rink-wide Vancouver three stars with an honorable mention to Teddy Bluger, the Vancouver goal scorer. Still ahead here on the program, we'll uh, hear from you, the listeners, get some listener feedback to our social channels at Rinkwide Van. We'll have the stat that stands out, and we'll look ahead to the Canucks' first ever visit to Chicago with Connor Bedard in the Blackhawks lineup. So uh, looking forward to that one. Still, a lot to come here on Rinkwide Vancouver. It is rink-wide Vancouver. I guess the good news, Dave, is that uh, we're going to be able to wipe this one. We'll have a, a whole new game to talk about 24 hours from now as the Canucks move on to Chicago. But we're breaking down a 2-1 shootout loss to the Minnesota Wild. We always do a stat that stands out on each and every one of these post-game podcasts. We've touched on it already. I just think on this afternoon, the stat that stands out for me is the 0-5 for on the power play. And I don't know about you, but like we have seen it so many times. Like this power play is a top five power play in the National Hockey League. And I have every, every reason to believe that it it should be sort of in that neighborhood with the talent that they boast. But when it's on, like we've raved about the both the player and the puck movement when they have the man advantage. And I'm not sure that I saw much of either in those uh, five power play attempts in this hockey game. Like it just, guys were off. They weren't controlling passes cleanly. Pucks were bouncing off sticks. I don't know. Like it's hard to explain. You know that they can be better and that they will. But on this afternoon, for whatever reason, and again, there's two teams, so I'll give Minnesota's penalty killers some credit, but the Canucks have to find ways to overcome. And for whatever reason, going 0 for 5, that to me is the stat that stands out from this hockey game. It's funny because we were talking about how we couldn't really remember any of Elias Patterson's shots. I can't remember any of the 10 or 11, whatever they had, the power yeah. plays number of shots. Like I can't remember any of those. And I think the thing that's so interesting about the power plays, you just pointed out, lack of movement with players and the puck. It's been about two, maybe three. I think two is more accurate. Two weeks now where JT Miller post game has just ripped into the power play and mostly himself and just said that the power play is not good enough and he needs to be better on the power play and all that sort of stuff. And I feel like it's almost taking us a a while to catch up because we're looking at it and saying, okay, well, you still converted. Like there was a night where they went one for three and JT Miller focused on how bad they were post game and he always not happy with the power play right now. Um, And I think the numbers are just starting to reflect what Miller, a player, has seen for a while now is just that they're not playing the way they normally do and right now they're not getting the results um with today's game and that's kind of where we want to see them you know take over a game right like we talked about the stars taking over you don't need that to be at five on five you'd like it to be at five on five but with five power play opportunities like that's the difference that's the difference in this game uh in the end Casey Smith was their best penalty killer they didn't have a lot of penalties to kill but you need your power play. When you have, like you just said, a top five power play, this is a game for them to take over. Like this was begging for them to take over this game on the power play. Yeah, and just further to the numbers, that stand, the stat that stands out, I mean, they had three first period power play shots, seven in the second period. And then you may remember 
the late second period penalty carried over. They started the third on the power play, and then they had another power play in that third period as well. They registered one shot on goal with the man advantage in the third period. So uh, again, crunch time, high leverage situation, and that power play failed them. Uh, Besser had five power play shots on the afternoon. Elias Pettersson, three of his seven uh, came with the man advantage. Quinn Hughes was credited with a pair and JT Miller. So all of that top unit, uh, and I guess that sort of begs the question too. Like Rick Tockett's generally had a pretty good feel for when guys are going. And, you know, we've seen him shake things up and we talked about him switching lines uh, five on five. You know, on, on some games where your top-end power play isn't working, like, you know, would it be the worst thing in the world to give the second unit a little bit more time? But, I mean, maybe the thinking there is, like, eventually this group is too good. It has to break out. And if you keep getting the opportunities, you know, I'm going to keep feeding them these chances and this ice time. And his faith in that group was not rewarded in this hockey game. So, again, new day. It's a long season. Uh, power play can be better and the next time around in a tight game like this one, uh, it is going to have to find a way to be better. Uh, let's hear what the people had to say. We'll get into uh, our social channels at Rinkwide Van. We always like to uh, uh, we ask you what you thought or what your takeaways were from this one. Uh, Justin says, abolish matinee games. <laughs> I see a lot of that out there. I, I'm not as, like, I wouldn't mind the Canucks playing some afternoon home games. Uh, I know 11 o'clock feels early with the time change. It was a 1 o'clock start at XL Energy Center in Minnesota, but... You know, over the course of like 41 home games, like I wouldn't mind a handful of uh, Sunday afternoons or something like that. But the Canucks have kind of gone away from that. But uh, I don't know. I, I see a lot of people that sort of hold the same sentiment that Justin has. I'm not one of them. I don't mind early hockey. Get the work done and get on with your day. But yeah, it did not produce the best hockey. I don't know if that's because of the early start time. I really like a 4 p.m. start at Rogers Arena. I'll just say it. I, I love that. I know people hate it because usually it's done to accommodate the Toronto Maple Leafs, but I love it. You get in, you get out, and sometimes it's still light out, usually not, but you get out and you you still have your night ahead of you. I, I love it. I really like the 4 p.m. starts, but with matinee games, um, my birthday is in February, and for the past three years, the Canucks have played on my birthday and it's been a 10.30 a.m. start for the past three years. So I really like that because I get all the work done that I have to do on my birthday, get it all done in the morning, and then I'm free to uh, go do whatever it is that I want to do uh, for the rest of my day. So I, I don't know. I like the matinee games to some extent. Oh, that's not I, not where I thought you were going with that story. I thought you were going to say you, you didn't like the early start on your birthday because you'd been out the night before celebrating your birthday, and then it was tough to, you know. Get yourself up and at it and ready to go to work, uh, even though it is your birthday. But uh, all right, I'm making note, February birthday for Quadrelli. All right, uh, Andy says, how boring OT was in the shootout. Makes me want to just call it after 60 minutes. We talked about the shootout attempts, but we probably should double back there. And yeah, we went through the shooters. Again, with that level of talent, Kuzmenko, Miller, and Pedersen, you would have thought one of them would have been able to mount a better attempt. <laughs> In the skills competition. No kidding, okay? Like, no kidding. We Like, let's just quickly go through them because those, Jeff, I can remember. Andre Kuzmenko runs in, <laughs> runs into the zone, shaking his shoulders every which way and just gets in too deep. Gustafson stays with him. JT Miller goes wide and then doesn't know what he wants to do from there. All he knew that he, was that he wanted to go wide. And then Elias Pettersson came in and tried a shot. 
he just tried to shoot blocker side and it, it looked like like i think cody sievertson our guy at canucks army there tweeted out that i've never seen three shooters just mail it in like that um on shootout attempts but yeah that was one thing that i thought we didn't touch on enough in the first segment there was just how bad the actual attempts themselves were like it looked like look i'm not i'm not i'm not seriously saying they weren't trying to score but hell it looked like it uh back to the listeners uh, are on twitter power play not good conserving energy for tomorrow i hope not like that's not how this works <laughs> you, you you suit up you get after it and if you're thinking about the next game while you're playing this one something's not quite right there so no i'm not buying that i just think that uh, that's how minnesota plays i'm sure the minnesota wild are delighted with the uh, the outcome and the style and ultimately you know grinding hockey gets them two points in the standings and they need all the points they can get to sort of climb back into the playoff chase in the western conference they already made their coaching change so this is john hines and the system that he wants them to play it's not particularly pleasing and again they've played the canucks twice and there have been a grand total of four goals scored uh in 120 minutes of regulation time plus the five minutes of overtime here canucks have scored three of them minnesota got shut out by the canucks and they mounted one goal in the first period here uh but ultimately that was enough for them to get a, a result and get the victory so um they'll see minnesota one more time and probably that's a good thing with uh, 50 some odd games to go uh, only one more against this minnesota team ray says when the canucks don't move their feet they look like an extremely slow team yeah i mean they certainly didn't uh, look like speed burners out there but again minnesota takes away time and space that's the way that they play and that's where i said earlier that you know at some point the canucks are gonna have to learn to break down teams i'm not putting minnesota in vegas's class but vegas when they came through vancouver there at the end of november you know a tough team to break down and the canucks had trouble that night and they ended up losing four to one and they're outshot by a two to one margin you know not all games are going to be free flow track meets and you know you're not going to score on 30 percent of your shots the way that the canucks have uh in a lot of these games so far this season there are going to be games that look and feel like this there'll be more of them down the stretch and so you know rick talkett's talked about it at times where they have to get comfortable playing in games that are scoreless midway through the middle period and it's going to become a question of who blinks first this one wasn't scoreless but it was a 1-1 tie and that was it for uh, the offense uh, throughout the afternoon so yeah, I mean, uh, there are lessons to be learned, certainly if you're the Vancouver Canucks. Now, if they respond and they bounce back and they beat Chicago, as you hope that they would, you know, three or four points to start the road trip, you're probably okay with that. And then it sets up what's still to come, tougher challenges in both Nashville and Dallas. So uh, Canucks fall by a score two to one. Uh, again, they weren't good enough and we'll see if they're better on Sunday against the Blackhawks. And we'll be back to do this all again, another edition of Rinkwide. Uh, before we run here, Dave, because you and I will do this again post-game after mm-hmm. the Blackhawks game. Uh, it is the first look at Connor Bedard, the North Van native uh, for the Vancouver Canucks, and probably some Canuck fans that you know haven't checked out Blackhawk games uh, on television. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most uh, to see from Connor Bedard going up against the Canucks? Uh, that shot, like that goal-scoring ability that he has. And, uh, look, I know it's the boring answer, and I know it's the answer that everybody would have given, but like, He's leading the Blackhawks in goals with 12, and Jason Dickinson is the guy in second place. Like, So if Chicago's going to score, uh, there's a good chance it's going to come off the stick of Connor Bedard, uh, which is, look, like I'm, I'm really just looking forward to watching him play. Anytime you get to see a player of his caliber play, uh, it's an absolute treat. So yeah, Connor Bedard's shot is the very, very easy answer for me to give. No, but it's the right answer too. And that goal that he scored in Edmonton earlier in the week, like out of absolutely nothing, like you give this guy an inch and he can beat you. And 
Uh, pretty remarkable. We know that he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's the youngest player in the National Hockey League and does not look out of place. Like for all the hype around him, uh, I would say with 24 points in 29 games and leading the team in goals with a dozen, as you said, uh, he has lived up to most of that hype in his first season, in the first couple of months in the best league in the world. Of course, uh, you're right, Jason Dickinson, Anthony Beauvillier traded away by the Canucks to the Blackhawks. It'll be the first time the Canucks see their former teammate uh, in Beauvillier. So uh, some storylines there. No Seth Jones for the Blackhawks. So they're already a, a pretty weak team. And uh, there's a guy that logs a lot of minutes for them, but uh, he will not be available to the Blackhawks. So we'll see if the Canucks can pounce on that. Uh, Canucks are going to have to be better. That's the bottom line. They get a single point out of mini. They pack their bags and they head for the Windy City, uh, a noon start Pacific on Sunday, the Vancouver Canucks and the Chicago Blackhawks. We'll be back to break that one down. Full recap afterwards. Enjoy what's uh, left of your weekend. We thank you for spending a little bit of time with us here on Rinkwide Vancouver, brought to you by Betway.